for someone who's been banging on about climate change for decades, it's been exhilarating to see the amount of advocacy coming from Generation Z. And I had the pleasure earlier this year of speaking to three of the most prominent young climate activists in the world. Now, not only are they holding governments and business to account through their actions, they're striving to bring the voices of those most affected by climate crisis to the front and centre. Vanessa Nakate is a climate activist from Uganda. She's the founder of the Rise Up Climate Movement and the author of A Bigger Picture, My Fight to Bring a New African Voice to the Climate Crisis. Dr Maya Rose Craig, also known as Bird Girl, is a British Bangladeshi ornithologist and environmentalist. She's the founder of Black to Nature, which campaigns for equal access to nature. And she too has written a book. Hers is We Have a Dream, Meet 30 Young Indigenous People and People of Colour Protecting the Planet. And Anjali Sharma is a Year 12 student and climate activist who took the government to court at the age of just 16. It was an honour to speak to them. And I started by asking Vanessa how she got into climate change activism, given that it wasn't something she'd learnt much about at school. Thank you so much. In school, we do learn about climate change, but it's more of us understanding that it is the changes in weather conditions over a long period of time, but we never get the reality of what's actually happening on the ground. So what is told doesn't make us feel that urgency, that actually a crisis is happening right now. But I remember in 2018, I started to do research about the challenges that the people in my country, Uganda, were facing. And when I realized that climate change was one of those problems and actually the greatest threat facing the lives of so many people at that time, I decided to read more about it and understand what causes it and also to understand the impacts that were already unfolding in my country. So when I realized and found out that my country was already experiencing extreme weather events because of the changes in global temperatures, for example, the occurrence of floods and landslides in the western part of the country, in areas of Kasese and also in the eastern part of the country, and extreme dry seasons in other parts of the country, I knew that I had to join the climate movement and I started to strike every Friday to demand for climate justice. Now, you discovered Greta Thunberg, of course, but it's much more difficult in your country for a young woman to be an activist. That's right. Uh, Being a young activist but also a woman is quite challenging because I remember in the beginnings of my activism and sharing my work on, on social media, some of the comments that would come in on some of the posts that I would put were things like, you know, I was using activism and disguising prostitution and calling it climate activism, or I was a young woman and I was trying to attract attention from men or looking for a man to marry. So those were some of the initial comments I received uh, when I started doing activism. And I, I, I get to think about how 
any other young woman who would want to do activism if they read those comments whether they would consider joining activism because it's more complicated when you're young but also more complicated when you're a young woman but you persisted and you were soon striking once or twice a week outside Uganda's parliament Yes, um, I continued to organize the strikes. I did actually one strike at the Ugandan parliament. The next times I tried to do the strike, it was never allowed. But most of the strikes were done in front of malls and on the streets and in front of, you know, petrol stations. And that was from 2019 until now. We continue to organize strikes and also reach out to different students in schools. Because again, in my country, it's not so easy for us to organize big strikes like we see in European countries or in the UK. It's kind of really different for us and how we engage as many students as possible it means us going to the schools speaking to the students and educating them and getting them involved in the climate activism and now to uh, Maya Rose you've always had of course your passion for bird watching that was your inspiration apparently yeah absolutely um you know I've been I'm 19 now and I've been talking about environmental issues since I was about 11 but as a child the way that I first became aware of those in the first place was through that love of birds and engagement with nature and from there I think I you know was able to develop a really deep understanding of you know climate change deforestation palm oil pollution um in a way that I think you see a lot more happening a lot more now with you know the internet and just this new generation of young activists which I find so exciting. But you were only 11 when you started your blog Bird Girl. Um, Yeah and originally it was as the title suggests just for me to talk about birds really and that love of birds and to sort of I share that with other people but I think I, I guess the big surprise was that lots and lots of people started reading it. It, w- it wasn't supposed to be anything that would be particularly successful. Um, and I also realised really quickly that I was interested in chatting about more than just the birds that I was seeing at the weekend. I had magically sort of come across or gained myself this platform online and I realised I wanted to actually do something with it um, and start campaigning and start talking about these issues that I cared about. And I started doing that long before I knew really what activism or campaigning even were. But Maya Rose Craig, you were, you'd learned, you learned the power of activism via an oil spill in Bangladesh. Yeah, definitely. Um, so about six months after my blog started, I heard through Bangladeshi news because I'm, my family's from Bangladesh. I heard through those sources that there'd been this terrible oil spill in Bangladesh and the mangrove forests that are so important in terms of, you know, the Bengal tiger, loads of other endangered species, but also lots and lots of people live there. And I remember as a child just waiting for that to be picked up in the Western news and waiting for the outrage and the upset to happen. And it just didn't. I didn't hear anyone in the UK or America talking about it. And I was just getting really desperate, really upset. And then it sort of suddenly occurred to me that, I had this platform and I could talk about this issue even if no one else was. And so 
I took it upon myself to write lots of articles for my blog and write various articles for various other publications. And it ends up raising loads and loads of money and bringing that attention into the West. And I think that was the first time as a child I realised that, um, you know, I could make a difference. Now, let's go to Melbourne and Anjali Sharma. What impelled you to act? Hi. Um, firstly, uh, just to Vanessa and Maya Rose, um, I look up to you guys so much, so it's such a privilege to be part of this conversation with you guys. Um, but my story is, in essence, really similar to Vanessa's, but then also um, completely the opposite, because I've grown up seeing climate impacts in my home country of India um, devastate my family. There's been the 2017 floods, the 2020 floods, <laughs> everything in between. But having the privilege to move to Australia at the age of 10 months, um, this is something that I've never experienced. And in Australia, there is so many more avenues to push for something like climate action than there is in India because, you know, you try that in India, you can get forcibly disappeared. But here we have the ability to strike. We have the ability to um, initiate civil actions against the government. And um, I guess knowing that I had that privilege kind of turned it into a responsibility for me, which is why I've been doing this. Now, you uh, you started by organising climate action marches and it was through school strikes that you became the lead litigant in this wonderful lawsuit. Yeah, that's right. Um, so the school strike network in Australia is incredible. Um, it's in all states and it has just thousands of students pushing for climate action. And it's through that that one of my friends um, began working as a paralegal at this law firm at Equity Generation Lawyers. And they're the law firm that has been developing the case theory behind this case against the Australian government for years. And um, it's through that that I got linked with them and became the lead litigant in what became a successful civil action against the Australian government to establish a duty of care to protect us from the impacts of climate change. Now, Anjali, last year the federal court agreed that uh, Environment Minister Susan Lee did have a duty of care to young Australians, but uh, overturned on appeal. Now that you've had time to reflect, how do you feel about the, the two decisions? Look, the appeal decision is just as devastating as it was on day one, but I've realised that we have come so, so far. Making the Federal Court of Australia accept um, climate science unequivocally and realise that climate change is becoming an ever-relevant and ever-growing problem that's going to impact young people for many years to come. That's a very strong finding to um, be handed down in the federal court. And we forced the Australian government to say what they've been trying to hide out loud. It's it says so much about what this government is willing to do to continue to um, fund more and more fossil fuel projects and more and more um, land-destroying projects that are just not needed in Australia right now. Um, and the fact that they were willing to take eight children back to court, that speaks volumes. And I hope that the Australian public don't forget that. Back to Uganda and you, Vanessa. Many listeners will be aware of the appalling incident at Davos, but would you describe it again? Yes. Uh, while I was in Davos, I attended a press conference with fellow activists from Europe 
But um, unfortunately, when one of the articles and pictures from the press conference was shared, I was not included in the picture and my name and my message was also not included in the article. So it felt like a complete erasure of my existence at the press conference, but above all the erasure of my message and my experience when it comes to the climate crisis. And this is one of the horrible realities of you know, climate change. One of them being that those who are being affected the most are least responsible for the crisis. Historically, the African continent is responsible for less than 4% of global emissions. And yet so many people are being impacted by the climate crisis right now. Vanessa, let's let's repeat that figure, less than 4%. Yes, less than 4% of the global emissions. And yet many Africans are already suffering the impacts of climate change right now, devastating impacts. But while the African continent is on the front lines of the climate crisis, it is not on the front pages of the world's newspapers. And many times activists from Africa, they find challenges, for example, in attending conferences, climate conferences, like the most recent COP, where some activists couldn't attend because of the vaccine initiative because of no access to funding or accreditation. So in a way, those who are being impacted the most are those who are least listened to or who will most likely find themselves removed from certain rooms or certain conversations or from certain pictures. And yet there is a need to listen to every activist. You you make a very powerful point in your book that while we're painfully aware of the Amazon's problems, we don't know about the Congo Basin rainforest ecosystem. Yes, um, in 2019, that's when I came to the knowledge of what was happening in the Congo rainforest. And it was after being asked a question about why the world uh, only cares about you know, the Amazon and there is no much care about the Congo rainforest. And I started to read about it. And I remember reading an, an article that explained that because of the deforestation that is going on in the Congo rainforest and the world not paying attention to it, it could be gone by 2100. So I decided to organize a campaign called Save Congo Rainforest to highlight what was happening in the Congo rainforest and to demand you know, for its protection because it's possible for an entire ecosystem to disappear without the whole world knowing it. One of the things that really struck me during that campaign is that many people, there, there are people who didn't know about the existence of the rainforest and yet it is the largest in Africa and the second largest in the world. And there are also people who didn't know about what was happening. But it's also important to know that over 75 million people depend on the existence of this forest. Maya Rose, you've said that uh, you noticed at a young age that there was no one that looked like you out in nature. Why do you think this is such a problem and how have you tried to address it? Um, Yeah, I mean, of course, I can't speak for Australia, but in the UK, there's a really big issue to do with access to nature and the outdoors being a very middle class white privilege, basically. Um, You know, it's seen as a pastime that you can only enjoy if you are, um, I suppose, of that group. And so growing up being being Bangladeshi, being not white, I was very aware that I looked very different from 
everyone amount around me. And when I was 13, I started Black to Nature purely because I, I suppose I wanted to break down some of that privilege and give kids who lived in more urban areas that opportunity to go outdoors and engage with nature, which I think is important on so many levels. Like on a more personal level, I love birds. I love nature. I wanted to let other people, you know, learn to love them as well. But also it's so, so important for our mental health, mental well-being um, and things like that. And then on top of that, you know, with so many environmental crises going on simultaneously all over the world, um, you know, you can't help but think, um, I, I suppose, how do people even have a frame of reference to understand or care about these issues in the first place when they've literally never seen a forest or, you know, never been to the sea or never, you know, see, seen wildlife, basically. And so I also think um, giving people that opportunity to engage with the outdoors is so, so important in terms of engaging people with the wider environmental and climate movement. Maya Rose, you've been a passionate advocate for Indigenous rights when it comes to environmental matters and environmentalism. And this informs your book, We Have a Dream. Yeah, absolutely. I think especially, um, you know, when that youth climate movement was first growing, there was, it was... Well, actually, no, it still is such a massive issue that, you know, you only hear the vo the voices of very white, very European activists for the most part still. Um, and I was very aware that, you know, Indigenous activists are very often on the front lines of issues like climate change and deforestation, but also have so much to say and are very often erased by Western media. And so I've been trying for the past few years to sort of uplift and amplify um, various activists all over the world. And I suppose the book, We Have a Dream, was a culmination of that. Um, it was amazing during lockdown, sort of tracking down all of these fantastic activists and just letting them speak, letting them be heard. Um, you know, and I met people all over the world from Australia, from India, from South America, who have just been doing amazing work for years and years, uncredited and unlistened to. Anjali, is this lack of diversity and effectively the silencing of voices something you've experienced as well? Oh, absolutely. Um, personally, I find that in the climate movement, it's really, really hard for people of colour to, I guess, make their voices heard only because of the backlash that is so, so severe when you do. Um, you know, having the opportunity to come into the public spotlight some two years ago with this court case, the racism that I've experienced is... It's vile, and I'm so, so grateful to have had the most amazing legal and media team behind me who have just always given me the best advice and always offered to um, regulate comment sections and all of that. But it's it's really hard to ignore just the 60 message requests you get after an interview, all with death threats and rape threats and all this stuff that you know that your white counterparts don't experience. I think we should make the point that there are quite a few First Nations people, including women, who are, who are involved in the environmental movement. Uh, this is the voice of Vangeli Sharma, Year 12 student and climate activist, and we're also joined by Vanessa Nakata, founder of the Rise Up Climate Movement, and Dr. Maya Rose Craig, ornithologist and founder of Black to Nature. Vanessa, why is it so important to strive for gender equality? 
Yeah, um, I think that the climate crisis disproportionately affects um, many women and girls across the world. And especially in areas where I come from, where women and women have the responsibilities of providing for their families, if it's food or if it's water. So they're the ones to work on the farms. You know, when the disasters have destroyed their crops, they're the ones to walk long distances to look for water for their families. And we've read of articles that have talked about child marriages, whereby many parents are pushed to the extreme of giving up their girl children for marriage in exchange for bride price in order to recover from the climate impact. So I know that the climate crisis exacerbates already existing gender inequalities in our societies. And that's why there is a need to prioritize women empowerment for climate justice, but also girls' education for climate justice. Of course, it's not just in Afghanistan that young women are being denied education. You write about more than 130 million girls aren't in schools and should be. Yes, um, many, you know, many girls across the world are not in school and yet they should be in school. You know, education should be beyond just an opportunity that a girl child gets. It should be a right because it is a right for all of us to go to school to get an education. So I think that there is a need to understand the intersection of many of these issues when it comes to the climate, you know, crisis and education of girls and to understand how climate change heavily impacts education of girls and how inaction really exacerbates the inequalities that women face. So there is a need for people to know that as we address, you know, girls' education and women empowerment, this is actually the fifth most impactful solution to reducing greenhouse gas, uh, greenhouse gas emissions, according to Project Drawdown. Yes, it reduces existing inequalities. It builds resilience of individuals, families and communities, but at the same time, it reduces greenhouse gases. You mentioned briefly in your book a study from Australia which documents a rising incidence of domestic violence in rural regions after fires and droughts depressed the agricultural income. Maya Rose, you agree with Vanessa? You see a link between gender equality and sustainability? Yeah, absolutely. And I think the really interesting thing about the environmental movement is, is it is one that's absolutely been built off the back of women and women's labour um, and always has been, you know, tracing it all the way back to the 60s and things like that. And yet over and over again, where you sort of trace up the py pyramid and you look at the top, it's always the leaders and the CEOs quite often end up being men still. Um, and I, um, like the other two, have definitely received my fair share of, you know, um, really vile stuff online because I am a girl, obviously. And I just think like one of the most important things is going to be, you know, continuing to highlight the work of women, the emotional labour of women and how much they give. All, all three of you, of course, constantly emphasise the necessity to have women in the room when policies and issues are being discussed. Angeli, do you uh, think having more diversity of race and gender uh, here in Australia would make a difference? 
Oh, absolutely. Time and time again, we see our politicians telling telling the media, telling the public what women want, telling them what First Nations want, um, you know, saying in one breath that Australia is such a beautiful multicultural country, but at the same time, speaking over the voices of people of colour and First Nations people and making policies regarding us that don't represent us. Um, it's time to have actual people of colour speaking for people of colour. It's time to have women speaking for women. Otherwise, the, these voices, they pretend to be spoken for, but they're not. Angela, I've been campaigning lately for a reduction in the voting age to 16. I 100% agree that the voting age needs to be lowered to 16 or something around there. Not only will it broaden the demographic that politicians need to appeal to to get re-elected and ensure that issues that matter to everyone are addressed, but it also gets us young people more involved in politics because, like, shocker, you don't want to engage with a system that you don't feel is actually hearing you and giving us the vote is it's going to change those attitudes. Um, you know, you see in this day and age that when people don't feel heard by the system, they either become completely disengaged or they become radicalised like most of us have been. And it's time to actually have our voices heard at the highest level. Vanessa, what's the voting age in Uganda? You can vote at 18. <laughs> you say that rather cynically. In other words, you don't think uh, the normal political processes are much good for you? Well, I think, I think that, you know, it would be good to have a voting age at 17 or 16 and also for, you know, young people to understand how much the power of their votes can transform the world. But I, th I think we still have a bit of luck in that kind of education or awareness about the power of, you know, the voting rights of young people. Vanessa, you write in a bigger picture, those of us born at the end of the last century and in the early years of this one have grown up in the shadow of HIV AIDS, terrorism, financial meltdowns, huge technical change and disruption. Many of us have experienced firsthand how our planet's ecosystems are breaking down under climate stress. So young people like yourselves are forced to deal with the emergency. Well, uh, that's right, because we find ourselves, you know, born into systems that are already full of injustices, that are already full of so many challenges and so many problems. And as we grow up, we realize that we don't want, you know, the same kind of things we've grown into to be the future because we've seen that, you know, in there there is no hope, in there there is no joy, in there there is no peace because what we see is injustices, what we see is suffering of so many people. So I think this is one of the things that really drives us to, you know, to ensure that we can have a better future from what we are seeing, but not just for ourselves, but also for the coming generations. Maya Rose, I'm sure that uh, young people listening to this program, and there are some, will be inspired by you and Vanessa and Anjali to want to be involved because young people are totally changing the conversation, aren't they? Yeah, absolutely. I think um, as someone who's been sort of involved in environmentalism since about 2013, I think the massive shift 
that we've seen in the conversation around climate change just cannot be understated and is absolutely credited to the younger generation. Um, you know, climate change has gone from being this sort of weird niche green issue to being absolutely front and centre of everything, regardless of how it's actually being dealt with. Um, uh, and well, I, here's a question I want to put to each of you in turn. To you first, Maya Rose, what can young people do to get involved? I mean, I think the cool thing is there is so much that you can do um, on a really basic level. You know, I think that there are so many youth strike for climate movements and things like that all over um, Australia, all over the world. Um, and I think getting involved with things like that is so important in terms of dealing with like eco and climate anxiety, reminding yourself that there are other people out there who also care and are also passionate um, but even talking about things online, writing articles, even trying to like talk to your parents, your grandparents, you know, it all helps. I think especially if, you know, there are any big elections around the corner. Vanessa, your view? Um, for me, I think that what uh, Maris has really explained, but just to add on that is, you know, for young people across the world to know that there is so much power in their voices and so much power in their actions and to always remember that no voice is too small to change the world and no action is too small to transform the world. So it's about believing in ourselves and also believing that the kind of future that we are fighting for is not only necessary, but it's actually possible. And you, Angeli, I understand, want to become an environmental lawyer. Yeah, that's right. Um, but I think... Even before people like me begin a career um, or actually get the chance to vote, there's still so many avenues that can be used to push for change. And the biggest barrier to entry in terms of climate activism, I, I believe, among our generation here in Australia, is the fact that people don't believe that they can do it. They they can actually make meaningful change. Um, you know, they feel disengaged. They feel disillusioned. You talk about climate strikes to some people, and they go, "Oh, yeah," as if that's going to do anything. But it is. It's changing hearts and minds. And on that inspirational note, I thank you all, Anjali Sharma, Year Twelve student and climate activist. Vanessa Nakate, founder of the Rise Up Climate Movement and the author of A Bigger Picture, My Fight to Bring a New African Voice to the Climate Crisis, and Dr. Maya Rose Craig, ornithologist extraordinaire, environmentalist, founder of Black to Nature, and author of We Have a Dream, Meet 30 Young Indigenous People and People of Colour Protecting the Planet. Vanessa, Maya Rose and Anjali, I thank you. Thanks so much. Thank you. Thank you. It's easier than ever to hear your favourite local and national ABC radio stations live and on demand on the ABC Listen app.